Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Now, let me explain to you what a bandwagon fan is, at least in my estimation. Some of you might differ a little bit. But these fans, okay, they're only visible. They only, you know, they only rep and roots for their team when the team is winning, okay? Uh, they, they roots or they, they rep this team, especially when the team is not just winning, but winning championships. Now, let me name just a few teams that deal with this problem regularly. The Los Angeles Lakers. They deal with this problem regularly, okay? Now, there's two things to this. On the one hand, it's, it's a good thing because it says your organization has been winning a lot of championships. But on the other hand, it says that half of your fans are fake. <laughs> Secondly is the Yankees. Again, if you live in the Bay Area, if you were born and raised in the Bay Area and you like one of these teams, you're probably a bandwagon fan. Ki- kidding, kidding, slightly. The next team is the Patriots. Okay, right, right, right. And, and my personal favorite is Seattle Seahawks. Now, here's the deal. Is Seattle didn't even know they had a football team until they won a Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, they're coming out the woodwork. And with all due respect to my OG Giants fans, Ruben, where you at? Fidel, where you at? I see you. So disregarding you two, some of y'all have been quiet the last five years because you haven't won a championship. It used to wear and say all these things, but it's been five years. I haven't heard anything from you. Again, Ruben, Fidel. Happy birthday, Fidel, by the way. Fidel. I respect y'all. <laughs> but um, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Um, the good news is that there are some tests to determine as whether somebody is a bandwagon fan or not. In fact, you might have tested somebody in this way, or maybe you yourself have been tested, and uh, usually ask this individual a couple of questions. Um, so one of the questions you could ask, for instance, for, for a lot of these new warrior fans that are just popping up out of nowhere, um, hey, can you name somebody coming off the bench? Can you name me five guys on the bench? Um, that play uh, for the Warriors. The, and usually that's a decent question to ask. Another name you could ask is, hey, can you name me the coaching staff aside from uh, Steve Kerr? Um, that usually will give some people a pause. I, I like this one. G- give me 10 all-time greats from that team. So other than the people on the team right now, can you name me 10 all-stars? That should be easy. Can you name me greats? And if you want to go even further, can you name me some of their worst players? But I, I'll give you a slack if you can't do that. If you're a Warriors fan, you should be able to give a bunch of 10 all-time terribles. Um, but you know what? Even all of those questions, they can be Googled. Okay? But here's the true test. Are you ready? This is the true test. When the hype is gone, when the music fades, when the team is no longer relevant, Will you still be interested? Will you still be repping the team? Will you still be going to games? And will you still be interested in that team? That right there is the ultimate test on whether somebody is a bandwagoner or a true fan. 
Now, let me just say this. Usually these questions are enough to expose who really is a fan of the team and who's only there just for the hype. Now, in the same way, here comes the transition. In the same way, today's controversial words of Christ warn us that on the day of judgment, there will be those who stand before Jesus exposed as frauds. Now, my prayer for all of us today in this room is that we would allow the Holy Spirit, through his word, to examine our hearts and help us discern whether we stand with Jesus or not. To help us discern whether we stand with Christ. And can I just say this? Just seatbelts on just this whole time. It's going to be a very bumpy flight, um, but I promise you that as much as the word of God may hurt you, the gospel will heal you, and if you pay attention, this, this will be remedy to your soul. This will be one of those things that hurts real good, but I want to warn you ahead of time, amen? So let's pray again because um, I just want the Lord to lead. Heavenly Father, again, I just throw myself at your mercy. Uh, will your word not come back void? I just pray that your words would speak loud and clear. Holy Spirit, uh, you would capture the words and translate it to the hearts and minds in this room for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, today's text is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. But before we just kind of land on this text, I just want to give you a little brief context of what's going on so that we can kind of better understand this text when we get into it. Um, today's text actually comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's, it's actually part of Jesus' conclusion to a sermon uh, where he taught people what the kingdom culture is like and what citizens of that kingdom are like. And so uh, this is actually the concluding part of that message and where Jesus, again, is teaching people about kingdom culture. And then he's also teaching people about what citizens of that kingdom culture are like. Now, Jesus concludes his sermon by warning his listeners of three fraudulent elements, right? Three false things, three fraudulent elements that would try and enter God's kingdom and that would also try and influence God's kingdom citizens. And so let me just tell you what these three fraudulent things are. Number one, uh, um, false doctrines. In fact, specifically, I believe uh, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 13, uh, Jesus will say, enter by the narrow gate, right? Enter by the narrow gate, this narrow gate that not many enter by. And so the first fraudulent thing that would try to enter in the kingdom and influence his citizens really is false doctrines, false ideas, false philosophies that would try to convince you that there are more ways to God than just through Jesus. So he says, beware, beware of false ideology, beware of false doctrine. The second thing is, he goes to, he says, and then beware of the false prophets 
that preach these false doctrines. He says, beware of the false prophets, men and women who will come, wolves in sheep's clothing. They'll look like they're a part of the flock. They'll stand on stages. They'll preach what sounds like the word, but will be a twist of the word. And what Jesus will say is he says, hey, look for their fruits. You'll know false prophets by their fruit. Well, what does he mean by that? Two things. You'll know because listen to what they're preaching because they're preaching their language, their words. What they focus on will expose them. Will expose them. What are they? Are they focusing on Christ? Are they making the gospel clear? Or are they focusing ultimately, essentially on you or on themselves? or on money, or on uh, temporal blessings. Listen to what they preach. Listen to the fruit of what they preach. And then the second thing is not just the fruit of what they preach, but what the fruit uh, is producing even inside of them. Watch their behaviors. Watch how they carry themselves. Watch what is important to them. He says, beware. Beware of false doctrines. Beware of false prophets. Um, And finally, the third item, and this is the one that we're going to land on today, says also beware of false converts. And we're going to land here today because I think that's relevant to all of us in this room. Can I just tell you there are two ways to be fraudulent? Are you ready? One is to be a counterfeit. A counterfeit knows it's a counterfeit. Another way is to be self-deceived. That's the scariest thing in this room is that there will be some people that will come before Jesus thinking that they're in Christ, and Jesus will reject them. And so you could be a counterfeit, or you can actually be self-deceived into thinking that your eternal security is okay when it's really not. And as a pastor, I'm concerned with both of those things, but this morning I really want to talk to you about that. Author and theologian R.C. Sproul refers to this section of Scripture as the scariest text in the New Testament. The scariest text in the New Testament. So if you're there, and we'll have it for you on the screens as well, why don't you look with me to Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 7. 21 through 23. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. That's heavy. If you're taking notes, write this down. The difference between a false convert and a true follower is the difference between superficial lordship and a surrendered will. The difference between a false convert and a true follower is the difference between superficial lordship and a surrendered will. Now, this is going to be really important for those in this room that are self-deceived and not necessarily counterfeits. 
Because you're going to want to ask yourself and examine yourself today. How do I, how am I certain that I'm not deceived that I'm in Christ? Well, here's the difference. Is your lordship superficial or is your will surrendered? Amen. The problem presented in this text is that it can be difficult to differentiate between the two. This is what makes the passage a difficult saying. This is what makes the passage a hard saying, a saying that's hard to swallow, a a controversial saying. Now, typically, uh, um, unfortunately, I want to say, there are many in the church, there are many in the church today who are self-deceived, and they won't figure out that they're false converts until the day they stand before Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me in this room, you deal with some rejection issues. Anybody got some rejection issues in this room? Anybody willing to admit it? Well, hands up. Okay, amen. You're with me. For those of you that don't have it, that's amazing. I wish. Let me explain a little bit about this. Uh, now, I don't know about you guys that have rejection issues. Some of you may be like, you know what, amen. But for me, uh, it can get so bad um, that there are times where I just rather like avoid asking for help um, than being rejected. Now, Friday was a very good example of that. Uh, let me just explain. This literally just happened to me. So... Um, I was invited to help somebody install a water heater. I don't know why. I don't know what I'm doing with my hands. Um, all I can do is lift stuff, you know. So thank God they didn't say bring tools. I don't know what I would have done. I would have went to P3's room and got the little... Anyway. But nonetheless, I was invited to help install uh, a water heater. Now, as I went to the place where the water heater was to be installed, um, it was a gated community, Okay. So I didn't have keys, and I didn't have an access code, which meant I can't get in. So as I'm making my way, and um, I noticed there were a couple of workers that were just hanging out, like, right by the gate. And I thought to myself, oh, great, I can just ask them to open the gate, and they'll open it for me. So I don't have to stand around, you know, making phone calls, text messages. I don't even know the people that I'm helping. And um, if you have rejection issues like me, I actually stood still for about four to five minutes there, fighting an internal battle with myself. Um, Should I ask them or should I not? Why? Because I was afraid they would what? Reject me. I know, I know. So ridiculous. It takes a lot. I'm just so humble, though. It takes a lot for me to just say this up here. I'm kidding. It's a joke. But every, every person with rejection issues dream, they come and guess what? They opened it up. And you know, I casually slide on through. And you know, if you have rejection issues, you're on the phone, but you're not talking to nobody, right? <laughs> Just when I thought I had escaped all internal harm, they opened the door for me. I slid on through. The gentleman opens the door, turns around, looks back, and in a stern voice, he says, Hey, do you live here? You guys don't know what happened right there. 
rejection hit. I was trying to avoid the feeling of frustration and rejection that I would be questioned. I didn't want to do that. I'd rather make a phone call so I had to go through all this because my heart just sank and my heart just dropped. Now, I won't tell you what I said back because you know I'm a pastor. He didn't. Amen? I said, yeah, you know, I just, like to, I just like to hang out in front of gated communities, wait for it to go open, and just walk around, I don't know, knock on every door, steal a couple of packages. Now, I get that's a problem. I get that's a problem these days, but I just thought to myself, really? Seriously? Anyway. So here's what you should know about people with some kind of rejection issues. And I want you to know, I don't get triggered in every situation, okay? I have a gra- There are certain situations where I feel it come up, but for the mo- in other areas, I'm okay. But here's what I think you should know about someone like me with these kind of rejection issues. Rejection or anything perceived as rejection is always, it's tied to our identity, right? In fact, this is why I'm one of the worst cold callers in the world, one of the worst outside salesmen in the world. Because they're not just rejecting a product, they're rejecting me, right? They're not just saying no to whatever it is I'm selling, but I feel like they're saying no to me. And so if I have to make a cold call, the, the phone weighs like 100 pounds. Like I don't want to make it. In fact, it's really weird. I'd rather get rejected over email. Is that weird? I'd rather send an email and someone say I'm not interested than hear it on the phone or actually walk into a store and the, they look at me and say, no, I don't want what you want, right? Like even though they're not saying they don't want me, and even though it's the job or the product that they're annoyed with, I can't help but make it about me. The thing about people with rejection issues is that the rejection is so tied into their identity that it's hard to just take a no. Does that make sense? In fact, I used to watch people make cold calls, and you know, people that could care less, and they receive no's, and I used to look at them like, oh my, how do you do that? That is so stinking amazing. Now, What does all of that have to do with what I'm preaching about today? Let me just say this. If the simple rejection of man can have that much debilitating power over our lives, how much more will the rejection of Christ infinitely crush us on the day of judgment? I never want to imagine a day where I come before my Savior expecting to be received by him with open arms only to hear him say, who are you? I don't know you. Leave me, you wicked person. Talk about the ultimate act of rejection. I think this is why we, all of us in this room, including myself, we have to learn to discern and master the art of self-examination. The Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves daily to see if you're in the faith. Knowing, and so in order for us to 
master that, in order for us this morning to learn that so that we can apply it to our lives, we have to know the similarities and the differences between someone who is carrying superficial lordship and somebody who has truly surrendered their will. And knowing the difference between these these two can literally save your life, save your soul, save your eternity in Jesus' name. Now, the scary thing about a fraud is that it can camouflage itself as the real thing. In fact, this is how self-deception takes root. You can be so good at looking like something that you not only fool those around you, but all of a sudden you begin to buy into your own act and you fool yourself. Now, if you just looked at the passage, you will see that those who have a superficial lordship, um, they actually have some similarities to those who have a surrendered will. In fact, in this passage, I'm going to point out three to you right now. And it's important for us to see the similarities so that we can differentiate what I think is the one important difference. And so here is a similarity. Now, if you read the scripture, you will hear that Jesus said many, which the word many already is scary. Like, I wish he would have said, like, just a little bit. There's just, there's a few. But he says, many. And he says, many will call Christ what? Many will call me, what's the word? Lord, and still be frauds. Now, I've said this before. In fact, I've noticed that the last couple of controversial statements that I've had to do have all been to deal with being a fraud, being an imposter, and also being prepared and ready because you don't know the day or the hour in which Christ will come back. I've noticed that the last three that I've been focusing on all have to do with uh, uh, sheep and goat in the church. And so in the last couple of weeks, I've said this before, but it bears repeated. Just because you prayed a prayer, just because you repeated a salvation prayer, just because at one point in your life you responded to an altar, and listen, just because you currently acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior does not mean that you are eternally secure. You see, if you say things, but you don't mean them, you won't enter the kingdom. If you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk, you won't enter the kingdom. If your life is not being transformed by your belief, then you don't have a saving faith. You have a feel-good religion that will ultimately send you to hell. I know this is not popular, Let me say that again. If your life is not being transformed by your belief, then your belief is not a saving faith. You have a feel-good religion, a therapeutic religion that will ultimately send you to hell. Now, there's another component about calling Christ Lord that I need to bring to your attention. Now, the Greek word that's used for Lord is kurios, okay? Now, for the Greek-speaking Jew, to refer to Jesus as kurios means that you're acknowledging him as the unique 
Son of God. What does this mean? It means this, that on the day of judgment, there will be people who stand before Jesus, who know the scriptures and are doctrinally sound, but still won't enter the kingdom of God. There will be people with a PhD in Christian theology standing before Christ and still being rejected by him. Just because you say Lord does not mean that he is Lord. Second similarity. Not only will they say Lord, but did you notice they said it twice? See that? That's, there on, that's important. That's there on purpose. Chorios, chorios. What does that mean? Lord, Lord. You see, there's something here you wouldn't see unless you understood Semitic language. And what Semitic language does is anytime a name is repeated, it means that that name is being expressed with passion. That name is being expressed with intensity. It means that that name may have a deep sense of endearment to you. Are you with me? It doesn't happen often in Scripture. But when you want to express an intense emotion, you double the name. You double the name. Now, what can this tell us about false converts on that day? Listen, not only will they be doctrinally sound, but they'll be emotionally invested. You hear me? Just like confessing Jesus as Lord is not enough. The presence of emotion does not mean that one is truly following Jesus. Here is a difficult yet sobering reality. Those who are rejecting Jesus, or those who, that are being rejected by Jesus, are the same ones who are crying and weeping on Sunday morning. Those who are being rejected by Jesus are the same ones that are jumping for joy. They're raising their hands regularly. They're crying and they're weeping. And I want to tell you something that just because the presence of emotion is there does not mean that he's your Lord. Number three. Finally, not only will they be doctrinally sound. And not only will they be emotionally invested, are you ready? They'll also be involved in ministry. You guys catch that? Jesus didn't leave no stone unturned. Um, Remember, Lord, Lord, did we not what? Prophesy in your name? What does it mean to prophesy? It means to teach and declare the word of God. There'll be pastors and teachers and leaders They'll say, did we not preach your word? Did we not speak your truth? Did we not prophesy your name? What else did he say? Here's another one. Did we not cast out demons? I mean, that's supernatural power. Did we not cast out demons in your name? And and I don't think Jesus said you tried to cast out demons. They were probably successful. We casted out demons in your name. The demon left. Doesn't that mean that you and I have a relationship? Doesn't that mean that you're my Lord? I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. I demonstrated the power of God. Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Listen, on Judgment Day, church folk will try and justify their salvation. 
based upon their spiritual accomplishments and ministerial activities. I preached. I, I led worship. I led the whole congregation. I told them to raise their hands. Didn't I do all these things? These are people who gave regularly. Amen. These are people who attended Connects weekly. <laughs> they served on teams. They were members. They were captains. They were leads. They were pastors who most likely had even led people to Jesus. But here's the danger. There's always going to be a temptation. This is important. There's always going to be a temptation to look at our spiritual accomplishments and to look at our ministerial busyness and call them proof of our righteousness, proof of our love, evidence of our salvation. That's tempting for all of us, for me too. Look, God, look what I did. We planted a church. My wife and I, we left everything. We could have done this. We could have made this kind of money. I want you to know that on that day, none of that will matter. That I can stand before the Lord and said, I planted the church. And I notice all the eyes in that. And I did this and I did that. Look what I left behind. I could have had a career doing this and we sacrificed this. And everyone in the church, go, oh, Pastor Phil, you're such, you sacrificed so much. Thank God for you. And I get it and I'm blessed. But I want to tell you, when I stand before Christ, frauds are exposed. Even if you think you've given up everything. Are you guys with me? That's the danger. The danger is that we're going to place our eternal security in our works, in our accomplishments, in our ministerial business. But let me say this. A faith that is built on our own labor is not a faith in Christ, but it's a faith in self. Got that? A faith that is based on and built on our accomplishments, our labor, our busyness, that's not a real faith in Christ. That's a faith in ourselves. And let me take a moment to say this. This is so important. If you work in ministry a lot, and if you don't, this is going to be important for you, but this specific, you work in ministry a lot, I want you to see this. This is important. Take a look at your current emotional investment. Take a look at your ministerial busyness right now, right? Look at your service and ministry. Look at your emotional investment. And if you see those things, right, if you see you're emotionally invested, if you see you're serving and you're ministering and your life is still a wreck, if you're doing all this stuff and nothing is changing, then it's so possible you're building your faith around activity. You're building your faith around achievement and not the gospel. I want you to listen. Compelled by religious activity, ready? When I'm compelled by religious activity, when my motivation is achievement and activity, I serve so that I can receive. And when I don't receive, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm frustrated because I'm serving to get something. I lift my hands in tears to gain relief. Yet nothing ever changes. But when I'm compelled by gospel love, I don't serve to receive, I serve because I've already received. 
Do you see the difference? And every Christian and every leader in this room, we constantly slip in and out. So if you're feeling a little uh, hurt by this, I want you to know it's okay. I slip into this all the time. It's a natural default for man to be religious. But when you slip there, don't stay there. Preach the gospel to yourself. Say, I'm not doing this for pastor. I'm not doing this for my captains. I'm not doing this for my leads. I'm not giving because the preacher said. I'm I'm doing this because Christ has done everything for me. And when my motivation is motivated by love, I'm less likely to be burnt out and wrecked. And I'm most likely to be transformed and changed. Now, I'm not allowing you. You should not be abused. You should not be manipulated. But these things should be out of a gospel love. And we all slip in and out of here. So no one in this room can say, man, that's not me. Remember the why. Remember the why. Amen. Now, before we move on, I want to make something clear. As a follower of Christ, ready? I should have good doctrine. This is like, well, see, doctrine doesn't matter. No, as a follower of Christ, (laughs) I should have good doctrine. As a follower of Christ, I should be deeply moved with compassion by my Savior. As a follower of Christ, I should be committed to serving the body of Christ. If you are a disciple of Jesus in this room and you're not activating some type of service, then you need to check yourself. It doesn't necessarily have to be with the church, but you need to serve the kingdom of God. It should be compelled. Otherwise, maybe you don't love him. His love should be compelling you to serve selflessly so his kingdom and his church should be advanced. Pray. Ask the Lord, what does this look like? All three of these traits, listen, all three of these traits must be and should be present if I call myself a follower of Christ. But... Just because all three of these are present doesn't mean that I'm actually a follower. You guys get that? They should be present if I call myself a follower, but because they are present doesn't necessarily mean that I'm following. So here's the zillion dollar question. Ready? How do I know I'm saved? I'm sure many of you in here have probably thought that, asked that. How do I know I'm saved? How can I be certain that I'm not a bandwagoner? How can I be certain that I'm a follower and not a fraud? How do I know? Well, first of all, the fact that that question's even on your heart, I want to praise the Lord. I want to tell you that that question should always be on your heart, not to haunt you, but to drive you into a place of humility and self-examination. Never allow pride to puff you up. I, I, was, I actually was, I shared this on my social media because as I was reading through this, you can imagine I was deeply wounded and convicted, but I'd rather be humbled by Jesus than broken by the world. And can I just say another thing? As hard as it is to preach this today, because many of you might leave offended because saying Christ is the only way is offensive. Right, saying that some of your lifestyles need to change is offensive. And as, as offensive as it is, I'd rather offend you here on this earth than you be rejected by Christ on that day in an eternal crushing offense. That's what love is, y'all. And I know we don't preach that in our culture. Love is agreement. Love is agreement in this culture. Just agree with me. Let me do me. 
In fact, don't, don't find somebody in your life that will be somebody who will tell you differently. I just want encouragement and exhortation, and that's a beautiful thing, and you need that, but you need people in your life. You need people in your life that will call out your blind spots, right, Mark? You need that. You need that. You need that. I said that because I went with him, and he just did a presentation. That was one of his points. You need that. You need that. Don't fall into, please, don't be self-deceived into thinking that, uh, that love is agreement. Such a lie from hell. The people who really love me are going to tell me, right? Let me make this really practical. If I have a booger in my nose, tell me, y'all. <laughs> right? Just tell me. Tell me. I got bad breath. I know it happens 50-50. Tell me. Tell me. I'll get some gum. I won't be offended, all right? You guys get what that is on a much smaller scale? But love me. Some of you are like, no, don't tell me. I'm good. <laughs> Just walking around like a dragon all over church. <laughs> Can I pray with you? Like, no, I don't want to. No, no prayer today. I'm good. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so back to it, right? What the zillion dollar question. How do I know? How can I be certain? Well, Jesus said this. This is Jesus' words, not my words. Ready? He says, only those who what? Do the will of my Father. Wow. The will of my father will enter the kingdom of God. Only those who do the will of my father. Now, listen, I see this happening all the time in church. People think they found Jesus. This happens all the time. Happens in this church. Listen, people think they found Jesus, but in reality, what they really did find was a temporary therapeutic community. You guys hear that? They think they found Christ. They even start doing the things that you do. They, you know, you can catch on to churchy stuff right away, right? Come to church for a couple of weeks. Okay, this is what church people do. Okay, they raise their hands. Okay, I'm supposed to cry here, right? Oh, I'm supposed to serve on a team. Okay, you can do the things that church people do. And you think you found Christ, but you just found a temporary therapeutic community. But the minute this place doesn't become what you want it to be, you just leave. Right? This is a social club. It's a place to go on Sundays. Place to have some interaction. People know my name. They smile. They care about me a little bit sometimes. <laughs> this, is, this is important for those discerning self-deception. Uh, it's possible to want knowledge, to want love, to want power, but not want God. Right? It's possible to want emotional stimulation and social interaction, but not want Christ. And we'll give you those things here. Now, this is key. To really want God in your life, this is the part where the rubber meets the road. This is why you know when Jesus says, um, many will come, be rejected, right? Remember, I preached this a couple of weeks ago. Many are called, but what? Few are chosen. Why does Christianity seem so exclusive? I'm going to tell you right now why. This is the part which some of you will turn off, and this will be the reason why Jesus will reject you. Here it is. To really want God in your life, you have to give up your own will and exchange it for his. That's hard for a lot of you. It's hard for me. 
It's hard for us all to really want God in your life. You have to give up your own will and exchange it for his. You see, everyone wants meaning. Everyone wants meaning. Everyone wants the pastor to talk about their dreams, their accomplishments, their destiny, my purpose, all over the place. Your purpose. Today, we're going to preach about your purpose, your purpose, your purpose. Christ and your purpose, your destiny. This is what you're called to do. Here it is, glorious. This is you, 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 me, me, me. Everybody wants meaning. Everyone wants purpose. Everyone wants the pastor to preach again on destiny. But when it comes to giving up control, nobody wants that. They want to sleep with whoever they want. They want to lie whenever it's convenient for them. They don't want to repent. They don't want to forgive. And if they do forgive, they only want to forgive the people that they're okay with forgiving. The truth is, many people, they don't want a Lord. They want an accessory. Right? What does an accessory do? It, it, it serves me. Right? It enhances me. Got a nice watch. It's going to enhance my wardrobe and make me look a little better. Right? An accessory. It serves me. It, it, it enhances me. But a Lord demands that I would serve him. I want an accessory. I don't want a Lord. You see, a Lord demands that I would surrender my will. A Lord demands that I would say, not my will, but your will be done in my life. Even if it means you rooting out sin, even if it means you rooting out pride, even if it means you rooting out things that my heart says are the most important things. But Jesus says, am I more important than that? Because if I'm not, then that's an idol. This is where the rubber meets the road, and this is the difference between superficial lordship and a surrendered will. This is the difference between superficial lordship and surrendered will. And I'm going to conclude and invite the team. I'm going to tell you something. Ready for this? An accessory will serve you, but it can't save you. Only surrendering your will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Can we listen again together? Listen. Jesus speaking. Not Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Man, the scariest text in the New Testament. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Just feel that. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Do you see what I did for you in your name? Jesus says, and I'll declare to them, I never, I never, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Now, as we conclude, I, I want to finish by answering this question. What does Jesus mean when he said, I never knew you? I want you to get, it's not that Jesus doesn't know who you are, right? I mean, he knows everyone. It's that he doesn't recognize you as his disciple. You're a spiritual stranger to me. 
He doesn't see inside of you faithfulness to him. He doesn't see inside of you evidence of you loving his name and departing from evil. Yes, 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 this is important. Some of you might ask, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. Through faith alone, by the grace of God. But listen, ready for this? If that faith doesn't produce the evidence of a surrendered will, then it's not faith. It's not saving faith. Got it? If that love, if that faith, if that trust is not producing evidence of a surrendered will, then that love, that faith, and that trust is false and fake and it's a fraud. Most likely he's a accessory and you're self-deceived, but he's not Lord. You with me? So important. This is the rubber meets the road here. Now, before I pray, I, I, I want to answer two crucial questions and I'm going to pray for you, okay? Here's the first question. How can I know Jesus? Here's the sec second question. How can I be certain he knows me? Right? First question. How can I know Jesus? Second question. How can I be certain he knows me? Here it is. How can I know Jesus? Ready? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. We call this the root. Think of a tree, right? There's the root. There's the under the surface thing that grows strong. The foundation by which everything comes up, right? From this root, this tree grows and does what it does, but only by this root. And so we call the root of our Christianity repenting and believing in the gospel let me break that down for you just in case you don't know because i'm talking about being certain this morning so this is important what does it mean to repent so let me explain acknowledging our rebelliousness towards his word acknowledging right now admitting and saying yes i know i'm a rebel to god's word in fact i'm attracted to sin repentance and then believing what does it mean to believe placing my trust placing my hope placing my righteousness placing my joy not in my own efforts to change but in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross knowing that I deserve hell in my sin i deserve judgment and there's nothing that i can do to earn god's favor there's nothing i can do to deserve god's grace all i can do is throw myself on the mercy of jesus christ and jesus in his perfect life earned for me what i couldn't earn for myself and in his death he took the punishment that my current sins deserve repent and believe the gospel this is the root but we can't stop there because the root will always produce fruit. If there's no fruit, then you're not dealing with the right root. So the second question is this, how can I be sure he knows me? I'm gonna say this, evidence of true faith is a life transformed from the inside out, surrendering to God's will. 
That's the fruit. Now listen, this is not perfect obedience to the law because nobody in here is perfect. Amen? Everyone's like, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me more of that. I'm not perfect, right? I'm not giving you permission to continue sinning. I'm saying nobody's perfect. Right? So this is not about perfect obedience to the law because you can't do it. Only Jesus did it. This is not another form of behavioral adjustment, right? A lot of people will send him to church and then he'll change his behavior. Church is not a behavioral adjustment program. Willpower doesn't work. I'm talking about, ready? This is a genuine love for Jesus that produces a genuine, joyful obedience to his word. If you want the fruit, you have to focus on the root. Listen, the goal isn't to leave this place and start changing your behavior. It's to let Jesus Christ and his gospel change your heart. That's the difference between a follower and a fraud. When I married my wife, I made a commitment and a covenant to forsake all others. Out of love, I made a commitment to forsake all others. And so my love compels me and my commitment as a husband to honor that covenant. And I don't honor it because I want to be a better, because I'm a good person. I honor it because I love my wife and I don't want to hurt my wife and I don't want to destroy my family. And when temptation throws its way out there and I have opportunities, to violate my covenant, it's my love for my wife and my son and my family that keeps me faithful. You cannot stay faithful unless love is propelling it. You hear me? So don't change the fruit. You got to start believing in the root, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do I know that I'm saved? If I've repented and believed in the gospel. And how can I be certain that he knows me if that repentance and that belief is beginning to produce inside of me a desire to walk away from my sin? But I will tell you this. If you say you're a follower of Christ, but you still are okay with living in your sin, then you've deceived yourself. One of the most difficult things preachers ever have to say. In fact, a preacher will preach all his life and avoid that one thing because that's the one thing that might not make you come back but that's the one thing on that day the last thing I, I want to hear is Jesus say depart from me I don't know you you worker of lawlessness the one thing that stood out to me is that you have no rival and you have no equal and a lot of times when we sing that we think externally like, there's nobody out there like God. There's no rival. There's no equal. There's no one omnipotent. There's no one as powerful. Even Satan is not your rival and not your equal. But I want you to think of that internally. In my own life, there is no rival and no equal to how much you mean to me, which means my sin and my idolatry is not as important as you in my life. And so, therefore, I joyfully began to repent and believe the gospel 
There's nothing in me that will rival your word, that will argue and debate with your scriptures. And if there is things in me that do that, Lord, I I repent and I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just don't make that a superficial thing, but I, I declare that with my heart. So right now, Heavenly Father, I just pray for the root, the root in this room. First of all, I pray for an uprooting of all of those things that we built our life on. Uproot us from our functional saviors, those things that we depend upon for salvation. Lord, uproot us from those things we're dependent upon, those relationships, those works, those achievements. Uproot it in the name of Jesus. That root will produce rotten fruit. And Lord, we replace that with the fruit of the gospel. I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. I want to believe in the gospel. I don't want to be a rebel to your word. I want to repent of my sin. I'm sinful. I want to walk away from my sin. I want to surrender my will. This world and this short time that I'm on this planet is not worth my eternity with you. It's not. It's not. So I'll gladly sacrifice. I'll gladly repent. I'll gladly walk away from pleasures so that I can have pleasure with you. So I believe the gospel. And I believe that when I put my faith and my hope and my trust in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, I believe that that tree will grow naturally. I won't even have to do behaviors and do that what will grow will just become inside of me. Something will well up a desire, a new desire, a new creature. And all of a sudden, those old ways that I used to love and those old ways that I used to be addicted to and those old ways that I used to run to for comfort, Lord, all of a sudden, I'll begin to move further from those things and closer to you, closer to you. I want a surrendered will. Not lip service, not a prayer, not I come to church every other Sunday and I'm good. I want a surrendered will. I don't want to be on the bandwagon. I don't. Lord, when the hype falls and things go wrong, I don't want to leave the team. God, I'm in this. I'm in this. Because you matter to me more than anything else in this world. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I'm scared, but I trust you. I trust you. Trust your words. Trust in your hope. So Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for the pastors and leaders of this church. And we will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will preach truth in love, even if it's not agreement. Because we're concerned about eternity, not just the temporal things of this world. And I pray everyone in this room, the battle, the fight, the struggle that is the enemy in this room right now, the lies that are being spoken, the difficulty it is to leave and move to Christ, Lord. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I pray that the beauty of Jesus would be so compelling that nothing else would matter. Lord, speak to us like only you can. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook 
at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.